back to, back to the book of joy in Philippians 4, 1 through 3. And also we're going to look at James verses 1 through 3 of chapter 4 of James uh, 2. And our series has been on joy. What should naturally flow out of a believer? Because Christ reigns in the heart. And yet, to be quite honest, this section of Scripture is what happens when the joy is absent. We find some saints sparring, and that's always ugly. Anyway, as we look at this message, we want to look at the importance of diffusing harmony, disharmony, so that there's harmony among God's people. So turn me to uh, Philippians chapter 4. We're going to look at the first three verses and then turn over to James chapter 4. When you find that, uh, Philippians 4, I'm going to ask you to stand in our God's honor. Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I plead with Eudia and I plead with Sancti to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, local yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. And, and turn with me over to James 4. As we look at the first three verses there. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you you want something but don't get it you kill and covet but you cannot have what you want you quarrel and fight you do not have because you do not ask god when you ask you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures let's pray father we're always humbled as we gather lord we have so much to be thankful for when we stop and consider how you have loved us unconditionally and still love us that way. I pray, Father, that, Lord, you might continue to work in this time set aside for you. Holy Spirit, we simply invite you to speak to us. We need to hear from you. We always do, God. We forget so quickly. So have your way. In Christ's name we ask these things. Amen. A church should be the safest place for people to go. It should be the place where people feel loved. It should be the place where people are received. It should be the place where the joy of the Lord is evident. And yet many times, sadly, it's not the case. Sadly, there are a lot of casualties out there. Someone has said the church is the only army that shoots its wounded. And there are churches where people are hurt. And that is not God's intention. Um, I remember once hearing, they said that sometimes the church is like Noah's Ark. If it wasn't for the storm on the outside, they couldn't stand the stink on the inside. That is so sad. I want to read to you, this is a parable from Karen Maines called The Brawling Bride. She says, down front stands the groom in a spotless tuxedo, handsome, smiling, full of anticipation, shoes shine, every hair in place, anxiously awaiting the presence of his bride. 
All attendants are in place, looking joyful and attractive. The magical moment finally arrives as the pipe organ reaches full crescendo and the stately wedding march begins. Everyone rises and looks toward the door for their first glimpse of the bride. Suddenly, there is a horrified gasp. The wedding party is shocked. The groom stares in embarrassed disbelief. Instead of a lovely woman dressed in elegant white, smiling behind a laced veil, the bride is limping down the aisle. Her dress is soiled and torn. Her leg seems twisted. Ugly cuts and bruises cover her bare arms. Her nose is bleeding. One eye is purple and swollen, and her hair is disheveled. Does not this handsome groom deserve better than this, asked the author, and then the clincher. Alas, his bride, the church, has been fighting again. <laughs> you know, when we read in Ephesians 5, it's, it, the scripture tells us, it starts down, he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word to make her for himself a bride that's without wrinkle, without without stain, spotless. You, you see, God's at work in his people as he wants to set them apart for his purpose to, to be a beautiful bride. And we are called not to be just alike. I know we have our differences, but as a teacher of mine in college used to say, it's okay to bump heads, just don't bump hearts. And, and brothers and sisters, it, it's a very painful thing in churches when people bump hearts. When people bump hearts. I, I want to begin, let's look first at the very reason for fighting. What, what's the reason behind why we can't get along? Well... Let's go to our other passage, James chapter 4. Starts out, he says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? The term fight, it speaks of a large group of people. The term quarrels is just a few, just several. But the picture is that there is a disagreement and where does it come from? He says, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? In other words, there's this struggle. that This word battle, it also means to strategize. And it's a picture of, I'm thinking over time how I can get my way. I'm thinking how I, I can do what I want, regardless of the other person. I'm, I'm trying to plan this so it works for my benefit. And, and where does it come from? He he says, from these desires in you, you want something, but don't get it. How far will you go? You kill? Really? You say, look, preacher, I don't have a gun, and I don't have a knife, I don't have a deadly weapon. You have a tongue. Sadly, sometimes we commit murder through what we say to our brothers and our sisters, and how... We hurt, and the person who said, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Yeah, right. We know that in a real sense, words can tragically pierce people and cut them and hurt them. You kill, you covet, you always talk, oh, if only I had that, if only this had happened to me instead of the other person, this job, this house, that spouse. But you cannot have what you want. You, you, what do you do? You quarrel. And you fight. 
He says, you do not have because you do not ask God. God is left out of the equation. You're in church, but you're not listening to God. Your heart is closed. The focus is not on God. What do you want? The focus is on I want what I want. And that's it. It's my way or it's the highway. Verse 3, he says, when you ask, you do not receive. Why? Because, quite honestly, you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. The ultimate aim is not to glorify God. The ultimate aim is I want to feel good. Ultimate aim is I want to come out ahead. Do you see where where the... The person who you look to, it's the wrong one. It, it, it's not God. It's, it's self where the issues lay. As you look in our passage in Philippians 4, he starts out, he, he says in verse 1, he says that you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. And then at the end of verse 2, he says, agree with each other in the Lord. It's being in the Lord. It's looking to the Lord. The agreement is not necessarily in the discussion. It's in the Lord. Is the Lord going to receive the praise for how I act and for what I say and in the relationship with this other person? Or is it about me coming out on top? And that, that is the origin of where this comes from. Now, now, second, I want to look at recognizing those who fight us. When I was in seminary, I, I read a book that was popular among many of the seminary students, written by a, game, a guy named Marshall Shelley, and it was called Well-Intentioned Dragons. And Marshall Shelley was making the point, a lot of people that hurt people in church, they don't really mean to hurt them. They think they're doing the right thing, as they cause a lot of pain. It, I want to read, this is a part from his book. Dragons, of course, are fictional beasts, monstrous reptiles with lion's claws, a serpent's tail, bat wings, scaly skin. They exist only in the imagination. But there are dragons of a different sort. In most cases, though, not always, they do not intend to be sinister. In fact, they're usually quite friendly, but their charm belies their power to destroy. Within the church, they're often sincere, well-meaning saints, but they leave ulcers, strained relationships, hard feelings in their wake. They don't consider themselves difficult people. They don't sit up nights thinking ways to be nasty. Often they're pillars of the community, talented, strong personalities, deservingly respected. But for some reason, they undermine the ministry of the church. They're not naturally rebellious or pathological. They're loyal church members, convinced they're serving God, but they wind up doing more harm than good. And he goes on, I just want to give a short synopsis. He lists ten different kinds of well-intentioned dragons. Maybe some of these you've seen before in churches you've been in, not Kingsway, surely. But uh, the bird dog. Four-legged bird dogs point where the hunter should shoot. The two-legged bird dog loves to be the pastor's eyes, ears, and nose, sniffing out items for attention. If I were you, I'd give Mrs. Greenlee a call. She has some marital problems and you need to confront, or we need more activities for the youth or why doesn't the church do something about? These people like to give the impression they have more spiritual perception than anyone else. Then there's the wet blanket. <laughs> They're the ones that say it's no use trying. These people have a negative disposition. They spread gloom, erase excitement, bog down the ministry. Their motto, nothing ventured, nothing lost. We've never done it that way before. <laughs> Third is the 
entrepreneur. This is the one who, he's the first to greet visitors to the church and invite them to his home. Unfortunately, in addition to being enthusiastic about the church, he's equally eager to sell them vitamins or bee pollen or car wax or some other product. And then there's Captain Bluster. This is the person who comes um, from the School of Diplomacy and speaks with an exclamation point instead of a period. This person's always right. Everyone else is wrong. He doesn't mind standing up in the business meeting and saying, I'm right. And then uh, there's the fickle financier. This is the person who, uh, he'll tell you whether he likes church or not according to whether he'll give any money. Shuts down his tithe when he disagrees. Then there's the busybody who, well, enjoys telling everybody else how to do their jobs. (laughs) And then there's the sniper. This is the one who doesn't see and talk to you face to face. But boy, he's good at talking to everybody else about you. (laughs) And then there's the bookkeeper. Well, this is the one writes down every hurt, every disgrace. The merchant of muck. (laughs) This is the one who breeds dissatisfaction by attracting others who know he's more than willing to listen and elaborate on things that are wrong in the church. Dangerous stuff. The legalist is the last one. This is the one that says, unless you wear these kind of clothes, you can't worship Jesus. Or unless you sing all four verses of this hymn, you can't Really? You're missing the point. These things are not worshiping God. They're, they're not looking to Him. It's about me getting what I want when I want it. And it can cause a wedge between the people of God and between the Spirit of God and block God's work. Harry Ironside, a preacher of Moody Church years ago, used to say, wherever there's light, there's bugs. (laughs) Wherever there's light, there's bugs. So what's the call, guys? The call in the Scripture is to resist the fight against one another and make sure that the fight is reaching a a world that needs Jesus with that kind of a a love. Uh, Notice here in verse 1 of chapter 4, listen to Paul's heart. Therefore, my brothers and and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, that's how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I want you to say, first of all, Man, he's passionate about the church. He's passionate about the people. He loves these people. He's connected to these people. Um, they're his family. They're his heart. He says, and you guys are my joy and my crown. I, I love you. I care about you. And what's he say? He says, stand firm in the Lord. He uses this terminology several times in the scriptures. In chapter 1 of Philippians, verse 27, he says, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I know you are standing firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. In 1 Corinthians sixteen thirteen, he says, Be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, do everything in love. Stand strong. In 1 Thessalonians 3, 8, he says, For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. In 1 Thessalonians 2, 15, So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm 
And hold fast to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. And then in Galatians 5, verse 1, he says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So what does it mean to stand firm? Uh, it means respecting God's word. It means loving God's people. It means living out his truth. Matter of fact, as I looked at chapter 4 here, he says to them, he says, uh, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, which gives reference that he's referring back to what he has already said. So I, I looked at that. You come down to verse 12, and, and the first thing that I see of chapter 3 of Philippians 3 is this does not happen by accident, standing in the Lord. It's to be intentional. Look at verse 12 of chapter 3. He says, not that I've already obtained all this. Paul says, I don't have it all together. I'm not the perfect Christian. It doesn't exist. He says, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I don't consider myself to taking hold of it. I forget what's behind. I strain towards what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Hey, it's, in, it's intentional. It's God, I have to seek you. God, each and every day, I need to trust you. I love that Galatians 2.20 where he says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Christianity is daily. It's, it's moment by moment. It's not that we never fall. It's that we know where to run to him. It, it starts there. It's, it, it's intentional. Second, I want you to see how we're to live. We're to live as one redeemed by the cross. Look at verses 18 and 19 of chapter 3. He says, For as I've often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross. And what does that look like? Their destiny's destruction, their gods, their stomach, their glories and their shame, their minds on earthly things. Man, what a description of what it's like to live as an enemy of the cross. But how are we to live? We're to live as people of the cross. What, what does that mean? It's to mean, remember who died for you. Remember who bought you with his very life, with his blood. Remember the cross. Remember the forgiveness that you have. Remember Jesus. Every time we take the Lord's Supper, it's so that we do not forget why we gather, what we have, what He's done for us. Be people of the cross. Man, that we must never forget. God, jog our memory. God, awaken us to what we have. It's so powerful. Um, third, don't forget you're a citizen of heaven. Look at verses 20 and 21. Our citizenship is in heaven. This is not the final resting place. We're not home yet. We walk with him here, but one day we'll be there. And, and, and notice here in verse 21, he says, he talks about the power that enables him to bring anything under his control. That's what he's given us. He says he'll transform our lowly bodies so they'll be like his glorious body. I mean, you're a citizen of heaven. And your struggles here, your bodily pains, your 
whatever it is that you're facing because of the limitations of the earth suit, of our humanity, it's one day, it's not going to be there. We'll be with Him and we'll be transformed. Our bodies will be like the body of Jesus. Man, what a thought. That's powerful stuff. Um, the other day, Cindy and I were out somewhere, and I know I'm not. I'm just 52. That's, I'm not trying to say I'm old. But I was complaining. My left foot was hurting. I don't know what I did to it. My right hip was hurting. And I was whining. Y'all don't ever do that, do you? But I was... Thank you, Jerry. I was... Think about it. No more of that stuff. I love it. Uh, what John Maxwell used to say, he said, forget Baskin-Robbins 4,200 flavors of ice cream up there. No calories. It'd be great. be great. All right. Uh, and then fourth... And I kind of put this in a question. What is it like to stand firm in the Lord? Are you looking for His return? He's coming back, you know. Look, look what He says um, here in the second part of verse 20. He says, We eagerly await a Savior from there. The Lord Jesus Christ. So, so that's what it is to stand firm. There's an anticipation. God, give me an anticipation. Um, all right, some observations here back in verse 2 of, of our, our text. Uh, well, first we see it's two women in the church who are having this disagreement. And, and then uh, next as we look at it, this is the only place that these ladies are mentioned in the scriptures. We don't know any details. They're not revealed. So often when there's a disagreement, we have to be really careful because well, he's just really he's just really mean. So I think the reason all this is going on is just because he's mean, mean. Let me tell you why I think he's mean. Eh, don't do that. We don't have the details of, of why. Uh, th- this is occurring, um, this dispute. Fourth, uh, Paul's counsel to them is harmony. To, 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 guys, to get together on this uh, disagreement, to come together. He says, I plead with you, Eudia, I plead with you, Sancti, what to agree with each other in the Lord. This ladies, I want you to come together as sisters in the Lord. He's not after trying to make some big promise to them of this is what you'll receive if you're spiritual and holy in the church. You'll get this position or, or you know, everybody will think you're so wonderful. Now he says, in the Lord. This is about the Lord, ladies. Coming together and getting hearts right in the Lord. And he doesn't put them down. He's not trying to get in this big blame game about what each one did. He just is broken because he wants to see them come back together. Makes me think of Philippians 2, 3, and 4 earlier that we read um, where it, it tells us um, that each of you should look not only to your own interest but to the interest of others. It, it's that, that kind of, of, of search that we do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility we... Consider others better than ourselves. And, and that's the call that, 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 that he's given to them. Um, next, uh, 60. He, 
Well, these women quarreled. That's kind of obvious what, what we see here. Uh, I, I just got a question for you. If scripture were still being written today, if, if the Holy Scriptures weren't closed and God decided to show up at Kingsway and he was going to add your name in the, in the book, what would he say about you? Here what we read is these ladies quarreled. What, what would he say about you? What lasting impression would you make? God and then I want you to notice he mentions about um, someone stepping in and reaching out an arbitrator notice what he uh, says here in verse 3 I ask you uh, loyal yoke fella I don't know who this person is or maybe he's speaking to the whole group of people and God will show them who that person is but he says help these women these women and what's he say about them he he doesn't talk about their fighting and how they're wrong he says remember that they contended at my side in the cause of the gospel and along with clement and the rest of my fellow workers these ladies love jesus and they've worked for the cause of the gospel and notice what he says here their names are written in the book of life it wasn't an attack on this ladies that went oh, i don't even think they're christians how can they act like that and love Jesus and know Jesus? Let me tell you something's really sad. You can be a Christian and belong to God and do some really ugly things. And Christians are hurt. Christians get divorced. Christians struggle with addiction issues. Christians say mean things. He says, these ladies are, are believers. They've contended at my side. And, and I, I want there to be healing. I want there to be restoration. That was his heart. Uh, matter of fact, I look at. I know we're out of time. That happens to preachers. Galatians six. I just want to look at first three verses there real quickly. It gives us insight into if you're the one God calls to bring healing in a situation between two people. It says, "Brother, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently." That word picture of restore gently is setting a broken bone so that it heals properly. Restore him gently, but watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you'll fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. So we got to quit. I'm something. No, it's not the attitude. The attitude is, man, I'm just hurt that both of you are hurt, and I want you back together. I want you to be restored. I want this relationship to be be restored, and 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 that's their hearts. All right, let me wrap this thing up here. Um, a few critical lessons. First, uh, clashes will continue to occur. We haven't arrived. There will be future clashes at Kingsway and within the body of Christ. We got it. Uh, secondly, not all conflicts are wrong. Sometimes this idea of uh, I'm right and you're right is not true. Some things are worth standing up for. Third, if the disagreement should be resolved, and it's not, you can be guaranteed selfishness is at the core of it. And just a couple of things for if God uses you as the arbitrator, the one to come in and help. First, the ultimate goal is restoration. It's not punishment. God doesn't want you to come in there and give that spiritual spanking. That's not the goal. The goal is restoration. Secondly, 
Uh, it's grace, not force. I'm going to turn you to God, and we're going we're to fix you. Mm, no. Uh, third, the common ground is Christ. I love that in Romans 2, 4, where it beautifully tells us that we're drawn by His loving kindness. Not His, not his, not his force, His loving kindness. I close with this illustration. Um, Newman Hall was a minister in Great Britain back at the time of Spurgeon. He had written this book called Come to Jesus. And he got a review that was in the London paper that was a scathing review. This guy can't write. This guy's a jerk. On and on and on. And it was terrible. When Newman Hall, he burned. Made him so mad. He thought about it. And he got mad and madder and madder. So he wrote a scathing letter. And he called his friend Spurgeon, and he said, uh, I, want you, I want your advice. Will you read this letter and tell me what you think? Spurgeon's standing there, and he's reading the letter. Mm-hmm. 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 Very well written, Newman. Wow. You are right on. This guy really deserves this. Yeah. Right. Uh, just one last thing. Um, I think you should sign it. Author of Come to Jesus. So Newman looks at it. Tears it up. See, that's the ultimate thing. Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, as we think of joy that comes from a right relationship with Jesus, Lord. And where there's not joy, but there's pain. It's because we've forgotten Jesus. We've not been willing to let go of our selfish pursuits. We've not been willing to forgive where we've been hurt, where we've been injured. And Jesus, you are all about a new start. You're all about forgiveness and the strength to stand firm in the Lord. And maybe this morning, your call is to someone for the first time to to say, I want that forgiveness. I want to trust Jesus. I want to be saved. I want to... I want to be baptized. I want to identify with Christ and say to God's people through that picture of baptism that that I've been forgiven. I get a new start. Or maybe there's others here and you've got a grudge. You've got something that's blocked the joy of Jesus in your life. And God's saying, it's time to push that aside. We're together in the Lord, not in the dispute. And so, Father, I just pray you have your way with all of us. May we be open to the movement of your Holy Spirit, whether it's to come to this altar and pray or to make a decision where we are or to to share a decision that that we make uh, with the people. God, just work in this time that we call invitation or response. It's yours. So may you be glorified. In Christ's name we pray.